Hey everyone, welcome to the With One Welcome podcast, the show where we meet the makers behind the most beloved restaurants in New York City. Season two, we're focusing on Asian American restaurateurs and chef owners. For today's episode, we're sitting down with Eric Z, who's the chef owner of 886, a Taiwanese restaurant in St. Mark's Place. Uh, Eric and I actually were friends from college. I, I met him, I met him when uh, I was in NYU for hospitality management, and I remember one day he invited me over to his apartment for. Um, this amazing beef Taiwanese beef noodle soup, and it was so good. And I remember then and there we were kind of chit chatting about our dreams to open our own very restaurants. And I knew he 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 would do something very very special. And I'm so happy to say that he's done it now. And his restaurant I was very fortunate to visit recently, actually with uh, Lucas, who was just on the previous episode. And um, thank you, Eric, for the hospitality and, and for taking care of us. But also for this episode, I, I figure we're going to go straight into kind of his upbringing and where it all started for him with food. My parents were not in the restaurant industry, but my grandma actually had a noodle stand in oh, Taiwan. Oh, okay. This was way back. This was probably in like the '60s. Um, it was like a, so my grandparents, both sides actually, but this is my father's side. My grandparents fled from China after the uh, Chinese Civil War, and so they came to Taiwan with the KMT. And so they had to make a living. My grandfather was a hustler. He was out. He, he was in like five different professions. And my grandma had to raise four kids by herself, essentially. And then there was not enough income, so she started a noodle stand. And my dad, to this day, wouldn't really tell me a lot about it because yeah. it was like kind of a dark history because yeah. it was... It was hectic, busy. Uh, yeah. The noodle stand actually... It was for like survival. Almost. Yeah. The noodle stand gave my grandma diabetes. Wow. Um, uh, it's like just from overworking herself yeah, and just burning out and burning out, burning out completely. But like in those days you have no choice. You have to keep going. It's not like now you, if you own like a restaurant, you just hire somebody now in Taiwan, it's a very, very different business. And so that is as close as it gets for me Yeah, to being like, Oh, my family comes from a restaurant. Right. Yeah, my yeah, dad, yeah. uh, was he's retired now but he was in the diamond business and my mom was also in the diamond business with him but did you did you cook when you were growing up as a kid or? i've always been curious yeah just like i would my, my mom is a great home cook sure, sure she she makes beautiful dishes she's very artsy she, she has an eye so even if it didn't taste good it looked, it looked perfect great. <laughs> yeah but most of the time it tasted really good sure. i didn't really start actually cooking until i came to the states so back in 2011, yeah, came here for college. It, it, it what really shocked me was just how like <clears throat> how much I craved just Taiwanese food, yeah, Chinese food, Taiwanese food, Asian food. Because you're away from home, yeah. Because growing up in Taiwan, you you kind of take it for granted, and everything in in Taiwan back back when I was growing up, my education was everything was better in the West. You had a fancy meal, celebrating. You Western go eat. Food. You go eat fine dining. You go to this French restaurant in Taiwan. Uh, you, you know, you want to impress a girl, you bring her to an Italian restaurant. There was no, no occasion called, oh, well, family gatherings, but no special, really special occasion calls for, like none, none of those call for a Chinese restaurant yeah. or a Taiwanese restaurant. Yeah. But then when I came here, it really yeah. humbled me. I was like, oh shit, I really miss just that one stall Oh. In Taiwan, that I always just maybe you know I went once a week. Yeah, it's like but it's like a childhood memory. Yeah, it's like oh I have like thirty Taiwan Taiwanese dollars. I was like, which is like a buck. I'll have 
know, a bowl of pork belly rice. Wow. And that flavor is just like deeply embedded into me. And when I yeah. came here, there was nothing, there was nowhere that offered anything that's close to it. Yeah. So then I started cooking. I got, I became very curious. Yeah. So when you came to NYU, did you always, was your major always hospitality in SPS? So or? my first year in college, I was in Ithaca College. Also why I started cooking because there's nothing, nothing there. <laughs> yeah. And then the second year, of so sophomore year, I transferred to NYU. Yeah. My first year, I was in Gallatin. Oh, okay. Uh, I created this major called restaurant management. Yes, because there then, is no restaurant management. Yeah. yeah, and then like three months in, I was like, damn, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> and then I took a look at the, like NYU, uh, what programs they offered. I was like, oh, shit, there's hospitality. Yeah. And then I, I asked a couple of friends. Uh, who were already in the uh, hospitality program, yeah. Ange, Angelou. Yeah. So we went to the same high school, and she was in the program. I was like, how is it? She's like, oh, it's really chill. Just come. I was like, ah, oh, whatever. I'll go. And then <laughs> I applied, got in, Yeah. and uh, met you. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it was actually in NYU that where I kind of decided I wanted to go into food. Yeah. So I took this course food and culture yeah sure right yeah did you take that i think the thing was like Stein, it was steinhardt though right? yeah it was yeah. With steinhardt it was part of the nutrition yes. program yes i took it just because and it blew my mind it actually blew my mind there was one lecture or like a week of lecture where we talked about immigration uh, and food of food new york and oh wow nice so we talked about how you know the the italians came to new york first they they fled to new york and then came the uh, Jews from Germany, uh, and then came the Chinese. And because of that chronological order, there became this hierarchy of food. So hence, you know, the Jewish people were not socially allowed to eat in Italian restaurants because they were considered lower in the social hierarchy. Mm. So the Jewish people went to eat Chinese food because mm. they can't. Hence why... Makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, exactly. Why yeah. Jewish people eat Chinese food for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, so that that class taught me the history of food and that, that food that is context, not just yeah. nutrition. It's not just something wow. you put into your mouth. Things happen for a reason. Yeah. That dish is on your plate for a reason. Uh, somebody came up with it and then through generations, people evolved that one dish That's and amazing, made it dude. into what you see today. Yeah. You know, chop soy has its story. Yeah. General Tso's Chicken has its story. Oh, yeah, there's a documentary about yeah. that. Yeah, the so Netflix good. one, right? Yeah. In Search of General Tso. Yeah. yeah. It's actually invented in Taiwan. Yeah. God knows why. <laughs> no, it, no, God knows why. I, I actually went to that restaurant. It was incredible. It was incredible. That was in the documentary? Yeah. Uh, it was Pangs or something. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's interesting because all the chi uh, Chinese-American dishes, yeah. right, like General Tso, sweet and sour pork, they all have actual root. The OG dishes all have a very distinct flavor profile, which, believe it or not, the Chinese American dishes play like they pay huge homage to. Mm. So now, like looking back at all these dishes, it actually makes sense. There are a couple of things I want to kind of uh, talk about briefly before we jump into eight eight six because I think there's a lot to unpack with your restaurant now that you have. But when you were in college, actually, you started Scallion Foods. Right. Can yeah. we, we talk about that a little bit about what that was and, and how that came about? Remember that dark history I told you about <laughs> my dad? Yeah. It's kind of like mine. <laughs> uh, in senior year of college, 
uh, I had already been cooking at home. I'm just like a very enthusiastic home cook. Yeah. Right. I still am. Um, I was cooking at home. I was making, I was recreating all these Taiwanese recipes that I, I miss. Yeah. Uh, and I had leftovers. And this was when like sous vide was becoming the thing. Right. So I had. A sous vide machine and everything. I had a sous vide machine and I had bought this like vacuum sealer yeah you were definitely experimenting a lot at home yeah i was ex- i was i was not going to classes yeah you I were was, just r&ding at home. yeah i was i literally one there was one day during financial accounting i was sitting there and then i thought of this dish <laughs> i was like oh shit i gotta go to chinatown to buy ingredients so i just packed my bags and i left i was making beef noodle soup and i was making uh what, what would be now on the menu called lobabang mm. the raised pork belly over rice and I had a lot of leftovers, right? It was just my roommate and I. We couldn't crush all that food. And as you would know, if you make a huge batch, it always tastes better than a small batch. So I was making, like, probably enough for 20, 30 portions. Yeah. And so I, first of all, I didn't know about quart containers back then. Or else it would have been packed in quart containers. But I, pla- I what, packed pack it in. I packed it in vacuum sealed bags. So soups in vacuum sealed bags. So I would put the soup and the beef together okay. inside a, a vacuum would, seal yeah. bag. And then I would just seal it. And then it became a packet of soup ready to be consumed. You can pop it in the microwave for three minutes and it's homemade Taiwanese beef soup. And I was like, ah, oh, interesting. Why don't I get some noodles and prepackage them so it's like an elevated or a fancy instant noodle. Okay, cool. So I went out and bought fresh noodles, raw, and I packaged them, 150 yeah. grams each, also in vacuum seal bags. Again, would have been better if I just put them <laughs> in the fucking pint containers. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of where it started. And I was like, I'd get drunk and go home, and I would have food, high-quality food in five minutes. Yeah. Didn't have to order takeout. Saved yeah. me a bunch of money. Yeah, and it was the it really always hit the spot. Yeah, and you want others to enjoy this, maybe. Yeah, yeah. and then I started to give it out. Actually, uh, I was like, "Hey, have some of this." And then the next thing you know, people kept asking for it. I did the same thing with rice. I would cook rice. I'd put it in the plastic bag. I would have the sauce. I'd put it in the plastic bag. I would just tie it up together with like a rubber band. Sure. And uh, I was like, "Ah, oh, this is pretty cool. I'm gonna start selling it." I, I don't know where the confidence came from. But I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I was like thinking about a name. I was like, oh, I like scallions. Oh, scallion foods, whatever. <laughs> no yeah. way. And also scallion is like well, the sure, yeah, most dominant sure. ingredient in yeah. Chinese Taiwanese. I actually cookery. thought it was a like pretty pretty good name. It was very straightforward oh, in terms thank of what you. it was. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and so uh, senior year of college, I started selling these. It was doing decently well out of a dorm room. I was cooking it. I was buying the ingredients in the AM. I was delivering it myself via city bike, which is where I really started to appreciate city bike because you could, you it, it became very versatile. Yeah. You know, you could take the subway to somewhere and then just city bike everywhere else you need to do. And then, uh, yeah, and then I was doing some of the marketing. Uh, not much, so, not much marketing, yeah, but still. Yeah, it was a lot of work, definitely. But I did that for a while. I was still in school. And uh, I was like, ah, this might actually work. People in the Citibank Tower in the meatpacking district were ordering. It made sense. 
And so, well, during this time, graduation was around the corner. Momofuku actually had offered me this full-time job. In oh, the, I see. In their operations department. Yeah. I was like, nah, <laughs> I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this startup that is just has no promise of a salary. Yeah. No promise of any success. Yeah. And so graduation rolled around. My parents were like, uh, you know, you really should have taken that offer. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. You guys don't get it. And then I still, I was, I was doing this thing as a full-time job. It was very time-consuming every yeah. day. And I was still selling out every day, which is good. Uh, granted, it was only like 40 orders a day. Yeah. But that kept me really, 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 really Just busy. busy. Yeah. Just when you thought that everything was going swell for Eric and that maybe Scaling Foods would blow up and take off into the way he wanted it to, uh, come January, there was actually kind of a freak accident that happened to him that caused him to be bedridden for quite a while. And um, this is kind of a turning point for him in his story. January rolled around. So it had been like almost six, six months. Six months, yeah. January rolled around. I took a break. I went to uh, uh, the Poconos to, to ski. And next thing you know, I tear my ACL skiing. Yeah, just like I was going too fast. Wow. And then I fell. Skis did not pop out, so my knees popped. Oh. And uh, next thing you know, I'm being sledded down by the, by the like, what, mountain ambulance? Yeah, wow. It was actually really fun. They wrapped me in like this coffin thing. Yeah. And they just sled me down <laughs> like a dead body. It was dope. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but that kind of halted any yeah. You were bedridden progress. probably. I was bedridden for a very long time. Wow. It was a, it was it was not the best time of my life. Yeah. I got a little, You don't seem like the type of person that could just sit still. Like No, I yeah. just I'm not. So, I was in bed. I couldn't even take a shower by myself. Yeah. Because it was just there's no way, you know. Um so Scallion Foods was scrapped. I was like, oh, great. What the fuck am I going to do with my life now? You know, I have yeah. no income. I have no nothing. And then, so I was in bed. And then this kid who was my acquaintance back then. Sure. You know, went to NYU together. He grew up in China. He texted me. He didn't know that I was injured. You know, uh, and he was like, hey, like he had Scallion Foods before. He's like, hey, you know, I like your food. I want to open a restaurant. You you want to join? And then I took a meeting with him. I was very skeptical going into the meeting. I was even more skeptical coming out of the meeting. But then uh, under during that time, it was like, what else can I lose? There's nowhere, no way to go but up. Yeah. So I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll join. You know, I put down very little money. Um, to be thankful for them, like they were willing to support. I mean, they saw what I was like. I came into the first meeting with like crutches. Yeah. So that became the tang. Yeah. And yeah. that's your first brick and mortar experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like actual physical restaurant space. Yeah. With permits and regulations. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's so crazy to me. Like how how was that? Like you you didn't have any restaurant opening experience prior to this, right? So how yeah. how did you learn about everything? For me. At least during that time, it was like, okay, I want to just do noodles. I want to do it well. It was very noodle-focused restaurant, yeah. yeah. It was a noodle bar, essentially. Yeah. So my job primarily was to 
put out delicious food. And as the arrogant kid, I was like, ah, I got it. And then I uh, did a lot of research. I did put in a lot of time doing homework and looking up the basics and what Chinese cuisine meant. Yeah. Right? Because was, this was a Chinese. It was a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, yeah. noodle bar. Yeah. Um, I sprinkled, I snuck in Taiwanese elements here and there. But it kind of it kind of blends in well, and yeah, and so that was my first ever restaurant experience. As rewarding and grateful as Eric was about having the first ever restaurant ownership opening experience, I think that a part of him wanted to do a lot more with Taiwanese ingredients and Taiwanese culture and kind of showcase more his Taiwanese heritage on a plate, as opposed to honestly operating a Chinese noodle bar. So this is kind of a revelation he has over time and uh, yet another kind of inflection point for him in his career. I knew I wanted to do something close to my roots, right? I wanted to not rep my culture, but I, I personally wanted to discover where I came from because growing up in Taiwan, you again, you take all these things for granted. And it's also very difficult to determine what is actually really Taiwanese and yeah. what is Chinese. Because Taiwanese is just a blend of all these different cultures that had, you know, uh, taken Taiwan before, you know, politically. You had the Dutch, you had the Portuguese, you have the Japanese mm -hmm. and the Chinese. So most recently, the Chinese. So most of the things I grew up eating were essentially Chinese. Chinese yeah. And so I was like, damn, but I grew up in Taiwan. What is Taiwanese yeah. food? I, I, I knew what the culture was like. It was not different from Korean culture, actually. It's just a lot of drinking. You A lot of late night food, quick, easy, true. humble, yeah. cheap stuff. I was like, damn, but nobody's doing that in, in, in America. The Taiwanese food is not associated with drinking. Why? And I just, I, I couldn't answer that question because you go to taiwan you get shit faced literally <laughs> yeah. every corner it's so accessible too yeah know, it's just part of the culture yeah the restaurants if they don't have enough space inside they bring out the plastic oh, tables they put it outside yeah. like, oh just sit over there plastic stools yeah and then just gave you beer beer yeah, after yeah, beer yeah. after beer and then you switch to baijiu it's just it's that's the culture and the food is designed to go around the alcohol and not to sound like an alcoholic, but that's the perfect way to dine, in my opinion, right? Koreans do it, Japanese do it, Chinese do it, the Taiwanese people do it. Everywhere, I feel like in Asia. Especially Asian it. culture, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Koreans are very well repped in America for that. <laughs> that's true, right? Yeah. Uh, Japanese, very oh, well repped. Yeah. Why aren't the Taiwanese? Yeah. That's That was, if we boil it down... That was why. That was in your mind. Yeah. Andy and I started 86. Yeah. That's the very core. It's like, okay, we wanted to express this culture. Yeah. And food-wise, I, 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 again, wanted to see what was actually Taiwanese. I needed a space for, for me to do some self-discovery. So the next question I kind of had for Eric was, okay, cool. You want to do a Taiwanese restaurant. But to his point, like, what is that? What does Taiwanese food or, or cuisine look like? So I had Eric kind of briefly describe or explain what Taiwanese cuisine is in his own words. It is starch, lard, and soy sauce. So, like that's the main components. Yeah. 
that's that to me. And then you can also I can expand the list. Sure, sure, sure. Shallots, five yeah. spice, and uh, peanuts. But that starch, like not not noodle starch, not wheat starch, but like potato starch, corn starch, root starches, starch, lard, and soy sauce. Mm. Those are the main ingredients you can find in most most Taiwanese food. Mm. Yeah, mm. and they're very humble. Like lard is used to fry shallots. And deep fried shallots, the shallot crisps, are used in I would say, at least thirty percent of Taiwanese dishes. Yeah, yeah, it's like the Ung San hero, um, and soy sauce, obvious for obvious reasons. Yeah, and starch for obvious reasons. Stir fry is used thicken things with starch. Starch. Um, a lot of the street food is gooey. The Q texture is from potato starch, sweet potato starch. So these things are the Ung San hero of Taiwanese cuisine. Yeah. It's like okay, if I had to say, if I had to boil down to three ingredients, it would, it would be, be those three. Amazing. Yeah. When when we're talking about your restaurant from the outside looking in, I feel like it's easy for us to assume that it's doing very very well, right? You've you've had so much great press about it. Um, a really wonderful write up. I think it was like the New York Times or New Yorker, New Yorker with Hannah Goldfield, I yeah. feel, which was a great write up on Taiwanese food. I mean, you were featured along with other great guys that are really spearheading this movement, but like. When you were first getting into this, did you did you think that this would ever happen? Like when you got in, in your head, you were like opening a Taiwanese restaurant. Like, did you think about this too, or honestly, no? Like when we were signing the lease, when we were doing all these legal stuff, when we were putting in the money, I was scared shitless because I didn't think any of this. I didn't not think it would happen, but I just it was not. On my mind, it was just like, okay, shit. Now I gotta learn about Taiwanese food. We're gonna open in like the next six months. Gotta get my shit together. Um, but the first write-up that kind of gave me confidence was uh, from Stephanie Tudor. Eater uh, from Eater. Yes, shout out to Stephanie. During during our legal process, we had to create an LLC for the restaurant. So the LLC we we made it into Tasty Taiwan. I love that. LLC. Yeah. This is like a funny thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we applied for a beer and wine license under Tasty, Tasty Taiwan, Taiwan LLC. And Ste- Stephanie saw it and she was like, oh, I'm going to reach out to these guys, see what they're going to do. Huh. And so I got a call one day from Stephanie. Uh, I was like, she was like, oh, Stephanie from Tutor, Stephanie Tudor from Eater. I was like, want to talk to you about your concept. I was like, oh, before you even opened. Yeah. That's crazy. It was, it was awesome. It was like, that was one vote of confidence I got. It's like, oh, actually, we might have some press interest. Because before that, there was it was it none of it was on my mind. Like, the Tang, we had absolutely no yeah, press. It was right? all very Instagram-driven. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, damn, we, we might actually have some press on this. And so I talked about our concept. The next thing you know, like, literally the next day, it was on the front page of Eater. It was our own write-up. It was like a next new next level Taiwanese mm-hmm. restaurant coming to St. Mark's Place or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that really kind of boosted my confidence. I was like, okay, maybe we're on to something here. And then a few weeks later, I get a call from uh, the New York Magazine. Yes, from Grub Street slash New York Magazine. Uh, Rob Patronite. He's like, hey, Eric, uh, I had read your Eater article. You know, let me know like what 
what are some of the dishes yeah. you're going to be serving? Yada, yada, yada. I was yeah. like, and I told them about the sausage party. Back then, it was not called the sausage party. But back then, we were still like, oh, we're coming up for a name for it. We're coming up with a name for it. It's, in Taiwan, it's called Little Sausage and Big Sausage. It's <laughs> like, great. Um, do you have a plating idea for it? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I sent him a couple like, like mock-up photos that I just did at home. Like, oh, awesome. Come to the studio. And then Andy and I were like, oh, okay. And we went to the studio, took a bunch of photos. Next thing you know, we're in. That's where the, that's the, the spread. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Wow. I still I still remember that moment where Rob Dude, that's called me. Crazy. I, was, I was shopping for lights. Yeah. And it was just like a trickle effect from there, right? Like yes. Once Eater picked it up, once Scrub Street picked it up. Yeah. Very, very, very grateful for it. Because in New York City, if you don't have press and you're a restaurant, it's, it's very yeah. difficult. And it's not like you had a PR company or anything. You, you still don't, right? You don't have uh, like a... We, ha- we had worked with RVD for oh. a while, but that was about two months before we opened. So New York Magazine, Eater, the, the, these were all organic. Again, hence why I'm so grateful for their write-ups. Yeah. It's just, it, it helped us jump into the spotlight. Yeah. It made opening very hectic. Yeah. But, you know, it's better than... A non hectic yeah. opening, you know, is not having any demand, yeah. exactly. So, but we were also just like thrown into this ring of fire, like, <laughs> yeah, from the get go. Yeah, I mean, we were doing like 250 covers on like a Wednesday. Wow, we had 40 seats, <laughs> turn, 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 turn. Yeah, so, uh, super grateful for those write ups. So, after Eater New York Mag, it was like, okay, we really need to get our shit together because people are, yeah, curious, yeah. And we have something to present. Yeah. And we made some mistakes along the way. We first opened, it was bit busy, just like any new restaurant, really. And then starting to mature now and still getting good press, which I'm very grateful for. Yeah. If I take a step back, it's really nice to see people giving a shit about what we're trying to do. It's like, okay, all three of you are, you know, raised in Taiwan. You're here in America. You're here in New York. You're trying to represent your culture. Let's see it. Right, people That's awesome. are genuinely curious, yeah, and they're supportive, yeah. That I'm super, super happy about, yeah. And it's just, I feel it's crazy so that blessed. we're in a time where people are open-minded and they're willing to try different cuisines and cultures through the context of food. Exactly, and and the press, like like it or not, they they help play oh, a yeah, factor sure. in this, right? They write it up and they introduce. Yeah, it's the educational part they're helping yes. you out with. Yeah, and then. Well, they take care of the educational part, and then we, they, the customers come, come in, in and, and then that's when we, as restaurant operators, we now have the ability to be like, "Hey, this is this slimy ass oyster omelet that I used to eat in Taiwan on a weekly basis. Try it, and then they will actually eat it. They'll, they'll, they won't have any prejudice going into it. They want to think that it's delicious, and they'll appreciate it for what it is. Yeah." Instead of oh the slimy thing, oh gross, it tastes like you know boogers. I think we're in we're in a time where, you know, as Asians, we're very blessed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We get to kind of just bring forth our culture, right? Yeah, and be who you are unapologetically, almost. Yes. Yeah. Freedom. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a it's such a big transition from your days at Scanling Foods and the Tang, almost too, because like those are very. Chinese forward restaurants yeah. in concepts. And now it's just like, we're a Taiwanese restaurant, you yeah. know? Um, the one thing actually we didn't talk about is how you went from Tasty Taiwan LLC to 886. Okay, yeah. Even though it's, it, looking back on it, it might be like a very straightforward name, but it's actually a great name, fits the concept very well. But yeah. how did that come about? My friend 
Eugene from Boba Guys. We were we were having dinner with one of the founder of Boba Guys, and it's just me, my friend Eugene, and Ben. We were at Kiki's on Lori's side. I was like, still discussing about the restaurant Outside names. The and name, I, I yeah. was like, I, I'm thinking of three cup, <laughs> and they were like, Nah, dude, <laughs> fuck no. Three cup, and then. And this Eugenio suddenly, suddenly he was like, you should call it 888 Samba because Samba literally is three eights. In, in, in Chinese, it just it's means you're a like, good, a, yeah. it's, it, this, it's like an adjective. Like you're like a Samba, you're very three eight. It means you're very like quirky and like just weird. And like, it's not, it's a, it's a diss, but it's a friendly diss. So Samba, like you're very Samba. So 888. And I was like, oh, shit, that's a pretty good name. You know, and it's like Chinese culture, 888, it's, you know, prosperity. And so I, I was like, oh, I'll think about it. It's pretty cool. And then there's, I discovered there's a restaurant called 888 in California. It was like a Cantonese restaurant. So it wasn't a big thing. But So we were having a business team meeting. I was like, oh, what do you guys think about 888? And then the team didn't really like it. <laughs> Andy was like, ah, oh, might as well call it 886. Actually, wow. that's how it went down. Yeah. I was like, 86. Huh. Oh, that's great. Kind of checks all the boxes, <laughs> don't you think? Yeah. It's like we wanted a restaurant where if it wasn't numbers, it would have to be something just like a, it would just be Mandarin. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm. but Mandarin is not the most English friendly language. Like, yeah. It's not like, it's not like Korean or Japanese, like Oka or like, I guess. Korean is less English friendly than Japanese. Japanese is like everything you can pronounce in English. That's true. But Mandarin is like it's even the opposite yeah, direction. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. You know, so we w- we wanted to go with something that everybody could pronounce. 886 everybody can pronounce. Yep. Yeah, that's how it went down. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. The one last question I had for Eric before sending him off was his advice and words of wisdom for someone that is looking to get into the restaurant business. If you could say one thing to that person, what would it be? And this is his answer. Have confidence in yourself because you know what's best for you, but also be very humble and be smart, be realistic. So if you're really good at something, then be confident. But if you're just good at something and you realize that you're only good, you're not the best at it, then make yourself the best at it and then go for it. Because the restaurant industry is just crazy competitive, right? Even though we've cultivated this really nice community, right? Jamie and I are pals and our restaurants are like two blocks away from each other. There's space for for us to both be busy, right? For us to both do well, but it's still wildly competitive, not in a sense that, oh, you know, if you don't step up your game, your customers are going somewhere else. And they have every single right to. It's not like you're in a food desert. You are in one of the most, if not the most competitive food and beverage industries in the world. So, like, every single day, you know, make sure you're on top of it. Yeah. Because if you slip for one second, you're done. Yeah. And that's what keeps me going. It's yeah. nice, you know? And, and on the flip side is, like, we've cultivated a community, like, if, if my friend's restaurant is slipping up, I'll be like, hey, maybe watch this dish or like this service, stuff like that. And then they do the same thing for me. 
right? Nobody's perfect. Everybody has slip-ups. It's just like minor stuff, but we always constantly remind each other and we show everybody love. And it's it's awesome. It's it's nice that we're taking a step forward. But still, on, on the consumer end, on the revenue end, you need to have a good concept. You need to have good design. Yeah. Good food. Everything. Yeah. Like, you can't just fly with decent food. Yeah, for sure. Or, like, good design. It's, it's, it's just not going to work. Yeah. And that's it. We're wrapped up on episode four. Eric Z, 886 St. Mark's Place, Taiwanese restaurant, awesome pricing, open for lunch and dinner, even brunch on the weekends. Uh, it's a fantastic restaurant. A little biased for me to say, but regardless, I'm so proud of you, man. You've, you've created such an, a special restaurant that I think is entirely reflective of you, who you are, and an extension of you. And that's so awesome and so cool to see. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy that you've kind of come full circle here and, and you're able to do what you love and who you are, man. Uh, congrats again. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next week um, with Warm Welcome. <laughs>